Stick your neck out. The weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation. Dear listeners, I must begin this podcast with an apology. It's been a while since we published an episode of this podcast, but I had strong reasons. You see, at the end of January, I spent a few weeks in my homeland, Cuba. When I was back, I had a lot to cope with. The time, one month, passed in a flash, often sobering and bitter. I couldn't really find peace, and yet it was, of course, also nice to be back in my home country, but it continues to break apart. Every day you hear about someone who has left or is on the move, mostly into the unknown. While I was there, the court rulings of the people who were caught in the protest last July were also announced, all almost with maximum sentences. An example. I heard the same from former fellow students, all those who had tried to be a bit more vocal, to expose grievances, were kept quiet. Imagine, dear listener, I needed some time to process when I got back to Germany. But now I'm back here, stronger than before and with a lot of stories of people making this world a better place to tell. And today's podcast is not about Cuba. However, one of the lesser-known facts of 20th century world history is Cuba's military help in Afghanistan during the critical years of the Sour Revolution of 1978. Cuba was among a small number of countries who voted against a resolution by the non-aligned movement at the United Nations General Assembly, which condemned the Soviet Union's intervention in Afghanistan in 1979. And today's podcast is about Afghanistan. I recorded this interview in January, a few days before I went back home. The interview lasted two hours, but I decided to split the recording in two. So this week, my guest is going to talk about the situation in Afghanistan. And next week, he's going to talk about his dream. Last summer, as for 2020, Afghanistan was again everywhere in the news. The Taliban captured Afghanistan's capital Kabul 20 years after they were ousted from power. Most of us still remember the horrifying video showing two people tragically falling down from a plane in Kabul as they tied themselves to the wheels of the aircraft to fly out of the country amid tension. Welcome to the podcast to restore your faith in humanity. It's me, Jean-Pierre Aguiar-Durañona, and my guest today comes from Afghanistan. Nematula Ahangosh is an activist, a poet, co-founder and trainer at Dupree Library, which is committed to empowering children and youth through education, nonviolence and storytelling. Nemat is physically disabled and also a Kantari alumni. He just graduated. A few weeks back, as for December 2021, he had his dream speech, which you can see at the YouTube channel of the Kantari Education Center. Welcome, Nemat. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Yampir. I'm very happy to be here today. Me too. I'm really happy you managed to find a slot for me. Nemat, you just finished your internship at Kantari, but I heard you are unable to return to your family and your home country. Does it have to do with the fact that your country is now ruled by the Taliban? Uh, thank you, Yampir. That's a good question. Well, uh, yes, Kantari course, the on-campus course is finished, but uh, another three months uh, on the site um, is uh, going on. 
so it, it includes uh, you know uh, pilot projects or registration of the organization and the finding donors exactly well the fact that everybody went back home after finishing the on-campus course of Kandari but I remain here because of my working background which I worked with foreigners in Afghanistan and Kandari was very kind to to host me here until we find another solution uh, so Right now, yes, I cannot go back home because it would be very problematic for me to return. Because as you can see in, in the news that, uh, you know, um, every day that, you know, the, the peace activists, the, the, the teachers, the professors and the military forces, previous military troops, all of them are really in danger. And uh, it's like just life and death situation right now. So that's why I can't return home. Okay. So, but is it not that the government won't allow you to be there or is it? Oh, okay. No, um, the problem is that uh, that who work with foreigners, they, they consider them, whoever work with them, they consider them people who assist the foreigners, the, the invaders or, or the non-Muslim people. So that's their ideology. So if, let's say, if I... Um, you know, return back and if they find out that I work with one foreign, foreign organization and then they would really pursue this issue and then uh, they, they will follow up. What would happen if you go there and they find out that you are working with foreigners? What are the consequences? Uh, well, of course, there is going to be some investigation, as they call it. And then uh, there will be uh, like the, the, some of the videos that I have seen, they they arrest people without a warning or something. It's just like, you know, just like uh, their own type of uh, judiciary system. So what would happen to me or to, to people who work with foreigners is that uh, it can be life threat. It can be, uh, you know, threatening the family members or charging you with something uh, and then putting you into jail or if they are, they are kind, if they are, they are not, then they, they might stone you, they might, you know, they might apply whatever their judiciary system says. Sounds really scary. Nemat, what do you remember of that day when you realized or heard that the Taliban seized control of Kabul? Well, for me, it was not new because one month before that, uh, almost one month, my family had to, you know, flee the country because my hometown was fallen in hands in hands of Taliban. Ah, okay. And later, uh, the the this, the the capital province of my uh, my province it's called Ghazni. Uh, so Ghazni also fallen in hands of Taliban, and then uh, so when my village uh, fell in in their hands, so they uh, my my family they knew that there is a consequence in this because you know in the village if they just if they just stop you and if they ask you who worked with the foreigners even if you didn't work so they will force you to say who in the village worked. So my family had to go and that was that day was for me very scary because uh, my family members uh, who are remained in Afghanistan, they were all uh, female. And then fe as you know, that women are facing a lot of problems. So they somehow managed to, to flee to Pakistan. And then after, after like 15 days, on 15 August, you know, the government collapsed. And then uh, that was the like, it was kind of scary, like my, my family left, but then, you know, there is a feeling that that I had that we have lost everything. And I was so scared that mm. I, 
if I, I will not be able to return, then I will not be able to, to, to pursue my dreams, to go after my dreams. And I was not actually scared about, uh, you know, my life that time. If I were there, I would be scared more about my dreams because my dream is, uh, you know, so much important to me that I would live. I mean, I'm basically living for my dreams. Yeah, and, I, and we're going to talk about your dreams. But uh, first of all, I would like to, to understand something because you said you were scared and the Taliban took over your city one month before they took over Kabul. Yes. So it means you were still at Kantari when that happened, right? Yes, yes. I've been here from the, from uh, 2018, but regularly, regularly I used to go home for summer breaks because I studied okay. here college and then Kandari. Yes, that time I was here. But, uh, you know, uh, they, uh, so it was, so for one week I didn't know where my family was. Uh, I was so scared. Yeah, that's what that's what I wanted to ask. Actually, how how was that this process, and how was that for your family? I mean, how do they get out of this town, and what happened? And so, when the Taliban they raided the village, and then they announced in the mosques that that they took control, and then everybody's fine now, so there will be no more attack. But of course, that was just 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 a promise. So my family they they quickly understood that, and then I also I told them before that. If something really goes wrong, and then you have to be able to manage to go somewhere. So first day, um, after they contacted me after one week, so first they uh, go to Ghazni, to the center uh, of this province, and then they they come to Kabul, and from Kabul they pay for, you know, shared taxi, and then they reach uh, to, to the border of Pakistan. So without any any um, uh, without any passport or something, since people were fleeing just like that, So they they had to they had to flee just like that. And after they reached there, so uh, like we have a community of uh, like it's called the Hazara community there uh, in um, Pakistan. Uh, one city is called Quetta. So they when they went there, so they they talked to people to our community that this is what happened and we had to come. And then later they have somehow managed, and then my 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 uncle. Uh, with his family, also my brother. They they tried to contact some people to find uh, a shelter and and a place where my family could stay. I see. I mean, it's really sad and it's also a little bit scary, isn't it? Yes, yes, that's very true. Actually, like uh, physically, I'm fine and I'm in a safe place now in India. In uh, but thinking of it, the the generation that I thought maybe our generation would not see another another such disaster, but. But it happened, and yeah. then, you know, it is so scary, like to feel how how people might feel, and then every day you get the news, and then apart from news, everyone is messaging you that seeking for help, and then you cannot do anything. So that is actually so sad, and um, like my own status here is uh, mentally sometimes, <laughs> you know, I have this feeling that uh, what's gonna happen in my future. How long will I be outside, and then when I will be able to start a, another life or to set, resettle somewhere? Um, but uh, so far, I'm, I'm uh, you know, grateful to Kantari, who who actually offered and who are so kind to to help me stay here and take care of my my you know stay and visa. I can imagine. So, but how is it possible that 20 years after they went out of the power, they? could come back what happened the actual problem that started was um, as a person who lived in afghanistan and 
I, in my belief that the previous government, the leader, I mean the president who escaped, he formed a government which was corrupt, which was very corrupt. And then the people, okay. um, they didn't approach the governmental, you know, that time. One of the examples is, is that people didn't approach the government uh, courts. The, the court. Uh, so, but they did. They approached Taliban for justice. So you can imagine how corrupt and how bad was the 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 judiciary system that they would, you know, turn to Taliban for a just case. And then that was one of the problem. And then the 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 previous government actually was uh, very much focused around their center. They were only focusing Kabul, but uh, although they were. Uh, you know, fight war other parts of the country. So for for a few months, they only had the the, the control over Kabul. I mean, it happened really quick. Yeah, and then the Taliban they they became powerful than ever before, and they they recruited. You know, they 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 tried to suppress other other people, other influencers, and uh, so they, they they came in power like that. But this time. Uh, the scariest thing was that they right now they have access to all kind of weapons that uh, the Afghan military left and the, 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 the Americans they left. So the, that's the most dangerous one because they can use these weapons even against civilians. Mm. Of course, there are a lot of people who are fleeing, but there are a lot of people who are still there. And I think maybe they do have like a little bit of support in on some people on the on the Afghan society, how is it for the people the situation right right now? Twenty, according to one of the recent news that I read, uh, according to UN United Nations agencies, there are twenty two million people in need of humanitarian assistance. Um, you said before people are selling the kids. I can't understand. Are you? I mean, are people really selling girls and boys to the Taliban to do what? And how does it work? Uh, well, not only maybe not to the Taliban, but uh, to other people who are trying to use the opportunity. So they are on like they are not everybody is uh, dying of like not everybody is starving, but uh, the people who are let's say uh, who have been rich and the people who have been influ who have. Uh, influence and then uh, even the, the Taliban and the, you know also the, the the religious leaders they are also trying to misuse their their opportunity the the situation and that's how it is I mean for me also I don't understand like how uh, like what type of heart is that that sells the the children but of course we have never been into a, a such situation like I myself. If I was not in India, if I were not in India, I would be there, and then I I could see with my eyes what would happen. But but like we we don't know actually uh, how many are sold, and then we don't know how how they are sold. Okay. And, uh, okay. The only thing that I know is that it was it happened in the past as well in the modern history of Afghanistan. Yeah, before it happened, actually a few years back, it happened. Uh... Also, where they, they, they used to uh, to have like a lot of people with disability to make them like, you know, take palms and go and, and, and this kind of stuff. So the question is, why are families selling the children? What for? Well, my suspicion is that the boys might be used as child soldiers uh, and the, the, the girls are sold because they want to have something 
like they want to have some money or they want to have some resources to live on. They so the the, the people say um, the reason they sell it is just because of uh, starvation because they, they everybody is kind of starving there. And the girls are being sold to be like wives or, or to do like like homework or what uh, what is uh, we have seen a lot of child marriages in the social media people post it and then uh, also we actually don't know uh, once they buy the, the children where would they go and uh, the, re the only reason that I'm also agreeing with is that they are selling just because of poverty mm. yeah okay I see I see since the Taliban took power in mid-August last year Afghanistan has been threatened with academic regression you mentioned that before I mean the self-proclaimed holy warriors want to radically change state and society and have closed schools and university girls and young women in particular are excluded from any kind of education um, could you perhaps explain to us from the point of view of the Afghans What goals the Taliban have in mind with this closure of the universities? Why are these educational institutions obviously a threat to these radical Islamists? Let's say that uh, Kabul University, the biggest one, this is not a, an ordinary university. This is a university which produced, you know, the leaders of Afghanistan in the past. And uh, like from 2001, and, uh, like we have seen a very you know uh, good good progress in the area in the area of education and uh, of course the taliban who are brainwashed they uh, actually they only believe to teach the quran and uh, and they only believe that the children should go to mosque and to study uh, islamic education islamic studies but then there are other reasons as well let's say that the taliban the ta the pakistani talibans they are actually Um, they cannot see like they say that basically the, the I mean the Pakistani government they cannot see that Afghanistan you know reach in in a good place because then there would be a, a clash between the uh, the two countries because you know we have one border with Pakistan that uh, some of the people in Afghanistan they don't recognize that they don't accept that so and the main war is between in the borders, like the main fight is there. And uh, uh, like you have seen that in the news that the Taliban are also trying to, uh, you know, uh, take down the, the fences and that the Taliban, that, that the Pakistani government, they, they installed and then they took down some of them. So they cannot see it. They cannot uh, see an Afghanistan, you know, improved because once Afghanistan is improved and, and is, is in a better situation, the, the people, it's not governments, it's the people, they, they do not want that border. Yeah. I see, I see. What is, what is then the problem also like, because I've heard a lot and read a lot about the danger uh, women and girls are right now in, in Afghanistan. What is the problem with the women and girls in Afghanistan? Like, what is the problem with the Taliban, with the women and girls? Uh, well, they have something called Sharia law, which is uh, actually, uh, you know, they, their main focus. So they, uh, like, the moment that they, they, they came in power, they removed Ministry of Women, and then they brought It's something called Amr uh, Bamaruf Nahiyaz Munkar. It means, you know, the, 
they, that's the, the ministry that enforces the Sharia law. So uh, according, they, they go in a very traditional way. Like they think that, you know, they think that both in 1400 years ago or 1000 years ago, it should still work, but it does not work. And uh, uh, so that's the problem with Sharia law, their Sharia law, uh, their own version of Sharia law. I also believe that they follow the Sharia law. And besides, they don't know about anything else. They, they just know how to, you know, use guns. They, and they, are, they have already been brainwashed. They have been in madrasas, in religious schools that they have been brainwashed. I understand that. But what is the problem? I mean, what it is said in their Sharia law about women? Why are they so... I, you know, I, I'm not a Muslim. I don't. I don't. I, and I've been working. Uh, I have worked with with Muslim uh, people before. What I never understand is what is the problem with the women's education in the Sharia law. Well, it's not about Muslim or Islam. It's about uh, you know um, the 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 version of the Taliban Sharia law. That's you know they have their own version. Like let's say some of the countries are really doing good. Uh, it's like some of the Islamic countries are really doing good, but uh, then if it becomes radicalized, the the Sharia law, uh, if they try to produce something totally different than the the actual Sharia law, and that's you know very much uh, harmful, and they have that type. So in their Sharia law, women cannot go to schools, women cannot get educated, and they cannot work with a with a male uh, under one roof. Uh, so that's what their Sharia law. Why? Uh, well, uh, that's uh, I would say that because they have been brainwashed. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, that's why they they believe. But the point is, if you said, like, for example, let's say you said to me, Jean Pierre, you are not allowed to go to school. Then I'm gonna ask you why, and you're gonna have to give me like some reasons. What are the reasons they give? To, uh, to think that way? Well, that is a, a good question, which I find my knowledge very short. Okay. Uh, but my, my personal opinion is that uh, they follow the Sharia law that they, they have created themselves. And uh, that is not responding to today's uh, history. I mean, to, to today's modern Afghanistan. So, of course not. And then why they do that? Uh, uh, I come back to my own opinion again that they have been brainwashed. They see that the only way. How how was how was life before these events of August last year in Afghanistan? Well, it, it depends which which time I mean which time period we are talking about. The president who escaped, uh, Ghani. Uh, so in his time, also uh, the people were not doing good. I mean, honestly, like. My community, the Hazaras, they have been removed from government. And then it became only, uh, you know, one ethnic group was in, mostly one ethnic group was in the government. And they, they had most of the power. Slowly things got, got really bad. And then even before Taliban, the situation was not really well. It was for, for let's say, when Karzai was the president. Um, but after that, uh, I mean, even in his time, was, we were not really doing good. But rather, uh, it, it was better. But before that, before Taliban, still was not uh, good. The, the, the government was not doing well. 
it was corrupt it was okay you said it was not it was not good uh, how 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 not good it was can you describe that for me uh, uh, one of the examples that uh, that really you know struck me was that the people they didn't go to government court they used to go to the court where the taliban was uh, uh, the taliban were you know in charge of that court uh, so uh, And that's one example that ha we can see that the government and the ju judiciary system has been very corrupt. And then the other thing was that most of the money was not really like was not spent on on defense. Although I'm very against the weapons, uh, but uh, but then uh, uh, that's the, the reason that you know the the soldiers were not supported, and then they didn't get their salaries, and the you know even the the government like. Every time the president designated a person in charge of one department, that uh, lasted only six months or three months. Sometimes even one or, <laughs> or two months. And then in such situation, I don't think that a department would run very well, even if it's you know military. And what about social security, healthcare, education, like the wealth of the people, food? There have been news recently that uh, that you know economically, although people were somehow poor, but it it really was not that bad. Like people had something to eat, people had shelter, uh, uh, like they have they had a roof over their head. But then uh, compared to other countries, of course, it was so bad. It was rather good. Uh, the friends that I know. Uh, Before the Taliban took over, they they had a job. They were, you know, they were having something managing their finance, their finances. Now they cannot even manage their 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 pocket money. Mm, yeah, it's really difficult. It's really difficult. But it was it was secure to to like to go out of the street and and have I don't know to go to a party or to go to a restaurant. It was a safe place, or it was also difficult to. Uh, it, it depends on the area. For example. Uh, Some of the, the the places people were free. They could go to restaurant. They could um, they could they were free. They were going to school, their universities, and everything was was functioning. Except that you know there was robbery, and I think that would be even right now it's there. Yeah. Okay. There is a lot of discussion here in Germany about whether or not the Taliban are still the same as they were in the nineties. Um, what is your point of view on this? Uh, well. Uh, And before, like uh, a few months back, uh, I believe that they have changed. But then uh, we can s see the same thing happening again. Like the women are being suppressed, and then uh, you know the 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 health system, the healthcare is not is not doing good. Most of the hospitals are being closed. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it, that's how it 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 progressed in a negative way. So they have changed. But they have changed not for not uh, not in a positive way, I would say, <laughs> um, because they, they 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 still like women are not working in a government in 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 key uh, roles. They don't have they don't have key roles, and then you know there is on mostly there is one ethnic group uh, in the government. So of course uh, people cannot tolerate that. And if they have changed, if they want to be recognized as a government. So they have to actually gain the trust of people. They have to first be recognized in the country 
among the people. Of course. So what is the difference between the Taliban of today and those who conquered Kabul 25 years ago? Uh, well, I would say it's the same. And so, you know, still, like, the, the, we, have, we hear the news, it's the same. I would say that they, uh, they have changed uh, not in a positive way. They have changed in a negative way. People are right. They have changed. Okay. So um, do you think this situation in Afghanistan right now is something that uh, the international community have to solve? Or do you think it's something you uh, people in Afghanistan have to solve? How do you think that the situation can get better? Well, uh, if we see it from a political point of view, um, the, the, neighbor, the neighboring countries of Afghanistan are really uh, not very friendly. Let's say Pakistan. It's not friendly at all. And they have been, you know, uh, supporting terrorists for... I mean, everybody says that and everybody knows that. And, uh, you know, the, 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 Iran, uh, and the Iran government is also, you know, trying to influence, trying to have their own influence. So uh, I would say that, uh, yes, it is our country and we have to build it and we have to stand for it. But the question is, would people let us? Would, would Pakistan... Would Pakistani government lead us? Would Iranians uh, lead us? And uh, I mean, Iranian government. And are people really willing to help? Like, did the did the Americans the American troops uh, came in Afghanistan to help? <laughs> no. no, they never came to I help. Don't think so. Yeah. So uh, it, it is. It, we can solve it, but uh, if if they lead us to solve this problem. But how can you? I mean. What should they do to in, in order to let you solve the problem? Well, they, they should stop interfering in 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 uh, like in like if let's say um, if they stop interfering, so at least the current government would uh, you know would be able to to work uh, you know in a in a good way. The, the, my idea is that they should you know the international community should really work with Taliban. They should work with Taliban because the right now the crisis, the humanitarian crisis is is really really bad there, and uh, uh, they don't have an option. The international community they don't have an option except either they they could in, invade Afghanistan again, which is the worst, or they could work with the with the with the government uh, with the current government, or they could you know at least deliver uh, humanitarian. Uh, assistance uh, they could deliver through UN agencies they they are still functioning and they have to actually monitor uh, the aids that they send the other countries so they have to actually monitor where this aid is going they have to you know hold responsible their own uh, like the UN agencies their own people who are managing these aids they have they have to closely monitor otherwise their aids will you know Uh, will be in vain. Yeah, but you said the, the 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 international community should work with the Taliban, and I think it's like really difficult to work with people who are like how to put it like politically correctly, with people who don't have the same the same way of see the world that you have. It's difficult to to find a way to work with them, don't you think? Well, that is yeah, that is actually interesting that we all see the world differently. And they also see it in a different way. But if, uh, like, you know, they can they can negotiate. Like, it's not a problem that cannot be solved. It can be solved very easy. But uh, would the international community interfere? 
that's a big question and like they don't have an option what what other option they would have they have to work with the taliban and then kind of educate they have to kind of show how the government is run and how they should help people but they don't do that you know one of the other the, the biggest problem that people and the government in afghanistan they have together is that the assets of afghanistan is being or frozen like the money uh, is frozen by the by the uh, by the us government by they say by the superpower if they you know release that at least uh, you know the banks will function and then uh, people will not starve so they don't have an option unless they want to starve the people to death yeah i see if you will be in the position to to sit with the taliban and work with them which kind of actions or which kind of solutions you will bring to the table uh, well first of all uh, i'm a social change maker and uh, i'm really not good in politics <laughs> but yeah according like from my opinion you know if i had the opportunity to do that first i would focus on healthcare then education and then the the, the economic situation so what i would bring on table would be you know um, to come with plans that they can uh, see it is possible you know uh, let's say the the healthcare system there should be plan that uh, um, they could believe that it's actually working with uh, and then the education system um, it is a tough one but i if i had the opportunity i would have discussed the education as well and the the economic situation uh, too uh, so these three things i would really focus on because that's that's the very basic uh, human rights there is a lot to do in afghanistan and i just wish you and your country all the best and i hope that you can find peace at some point and thank you for talking to to us about about the situation in afghanistan right now thanks a lot sure and uh, sure thank you for for asking those were good questions and, and maybe my i mean my knowledge is not that good to uh, to explain um, but uh, yeah most of them are just my personal opinions But Nemat, that's exactly what I wanted to offer our listeners, your perspective. So thank you so much. And there we are at the end of the podcast to restore your faith in humanity. You'll find the stories of people sticking their necks out every Tuesday on Spotify, iTunes, our homepage and every other place where you get your podcast. And if you subscribe, you don't have to look out for us. We'll be coming to you. Next week, Nemat is going to tell us about his organization Stretch More. He plans to work with people with disabilities in Afghanistan. Dear listeners, if there is a friend, a family member, an organization or someone you know who is doing a great work in the community, someone sticking the neck out, just nominate them as a giraffe hero or tell us about them. Leave a comment, come and visit us at giraffe-heroes.eu. My name is Jean-Pierre Aguiar-Durañona and I hope you join us also on our social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube. But more importantly, I hope you join us again next week. <laughs> Weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation.